All right, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, if you want to turn there with your Bible, um, as we're starting to work our way, our way through the New Testament. Um, if you weren't here last week, we talked about um, uh, being a disciple and what that is, and we looked at Matthew chapter 4, specifically verse 19, where Jesus said to them, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men, and we talked about that, that invitation that he gave being a definition of what a disciple is, because we really want to be on the same page. If I want to be a disciple, what's that look like? What is that? And it really is that the disciple is a person, someone who has a personal relationship with Jesus, who's following him, who's being changed by him, and who is on mission with him. And so we have some of these cards that are still out. We gave these out last week. If you don't have one, feel free to grab one. Um, stick it in your Bible. Still, Jesus, even this week, as we read, was calling disciples. He'll call them again in, Math, in Mark and Luke and John, and just as a reminder of the kind of people um, that we're supposed to be. So just want to get that in people's hands that weren't here last week. So today, I want to talk about worry. As I was looking at all the scripture we were reading, that was the thing that stood out to me personally, um, because as is with true, with, I think most any pastor who will be honest, most of what I preach is to myself. It's something that I deal with. I think we all struggle with worry, and it was, uh, I wanted to dig in the text just on my own. I think it's a common struggle. If you wrestle with worry, then welcome to the human race, right? Um, I did this first service. If, uh, you know, I'm curious, how many of you ever worry? I'm, I worry about things. Is there anybody else? How many of you join me on that worry journey? You worry about stuff? I see some hands and some heads nodding. Um, yeah, it's something we all wrestle with. So what I'd like to do is I want to look at what is probably the classic text that relates to worry from the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Would you stand with me? It's, this is from the NIV. Um, I do have it on screen so that we can, um, can read this together. But if you would just, um, I'll read it and you can listen, but let's, let's really be open to this. Father, we, we really want to hear your word and we want it to speak into our lives. So Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves <clears throat> break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, and your whole, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. So if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. So we're going to be pointing out several things in this, um, this text that are significant. But to me, it's so important, not just because I know I need it, but Robert Leahy, an expert on this matter, has said that we live in an age of, anx- age of anxiety. Um, according to the National Institutes of Health, 40 million Americans, about one in six people that you meet, is suffering from some kind of anxiety disorder. And treatment for anxiety accounts for nearly a quarter of all mental health care. Most, if somebody's going to see a counselor, one out of four people, that's all about anxiety issues or things that they're worried about. And I've said before, and if you do any reading, the younger generations, this is a really huge issue. Um, Millennials and Gen Z, they say anxiety is at epidemic proportions. I read an article that talked about that young people um, in their teens up into into their early 30s, that they struggle with anxiety levels that were used to be, in my generation, weren't seen until you got to my age when you really had stuff to worry about. Um, and that COVID just ramped all this up. So I think it's a really important, really important topic. Um, when we talk about worry, I'm, I have to back up, but it really much is related to fear. And I do want to say one thing about fear because sometimes we think fear is negative. God gave us all of our emotions. They're gifts from him for a purpose. So fear by itself is not a bad thing. If a lion were to come in this room uh, roaring, fear would rise up, and the the appropriate response to that would be to run and hide, right? Because God gave us those emotions for help to protect us from things. It's when those emotions become like inordinate or overbearing, that's when they become unhealthy. So when we talk about worry, worry and fear are very much related. And we are designed, again, those emotions are good things. So we are designed by God to have concern. You should have concern for things, especially if you love something or love someone or care about things. If you are unconcerned about anything, that means you don't love anything. That's what Buddhism tries. That's the goal of Buddhism is to have no concern for anything like this stoicism. Um, but we should have concern for things. But what happens is, is when that, work, that concern starts becoming repetitive and starts becoming more dominant in our thinking and it becomes unending, that's when it goes from concern to worry. It becomes this kind of repetitive, nonstop program running in the background that you can't shut down. And if you stick with worry long enough, eventually it will become kind of a condition or a state of being, this heightened, agitated state that's called anxiety, that it'll get to that level. So there's nothing wrong with concern. But whenever we get to the realm of worry and anxiety, um, that's what Jesus is addressing. And you know this from experience, but worry and anxiety are incompatible with joy and peace, are they not? They're incompatible with joy and peace, two things that God wants us to have and wants to gift us. So for me, the, the thing that I want you leaving with today, if you left with one thing, if you went out to eat somewhere or talk to somebody and they said, what, what was the main thing you learned? We talked about worry, but I would really love for you to leave with this idea that what worry is really all about is it is about vision and it's about pursuit. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit more later and tell you why I think that's what Jesus is teaching us. So worry, it's very much about vision and it's about pursuit. Um, in this text, the word worry occurs six times um, in verses 25, 27, 38, 31, twice, and 34. The command to not worry three times. So this is a really big deal in this text, verses 25, 31, and 34. And in verse 28, he even asks, why do you worry? So obviously, it's kind of the point. And one thing, before I get to this idea that worry is really about vision and pursuit, 
I want to talk briefly about worry just off to the side, kind of something about it that as I thought about it this week that I was realizing more and more, and that is this idea that we'll get to that worry um, is a thief. It's a thief, and it will rob you and it'll rob other people of a lot of important things. So the first thing that, that worry does is it robs God of His glory, of His glory. And that's really the whole point of verses 26 to 30, this whole talk about the flowers and all of this. Um, that's kind of what Jesus is focusing on. And specifically what it does is it uh, minimizes him of his greatness. It should be greatness up there. And it minimizes him of his goodness. It takes his greatness and goodness and it brings them down to levels that, that are not as high as his glory actually entertains. Because the, with the greatness, when I'm worrying, what I'm essentially saying is I don't trust or believe really that you have control of my life, that you have the power or the ability to take care of these things in my life. And so worry is robbing God of his glory by minimizing his greatness in my mind. I think the thing, at least for me, that I really, that it hits me at the level is it minimizes his goodness. Maybe I feel like, well, I think he's powerful enough, but is he interested in taking care of that? Does he really have my best interest in mind? And so when you're worrying, what it does is it's minimizing God of his glory, his greatness, and of his goodness. Um, and that's why Jesus talks about this whole thing about the birds, the birds and the lilies, that in all of this, how he clothes them and they don't work and all of this stuff and how he feeds them, the whole point of this whole section is really about that God does a very good job of sovereignly, out of his goodness, caring for the most insignificant things in creation. I mean, bird, my parents love birds, but birds are birds. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's billions of them. They're pretty small. To me, they're not the most significant thing in the world. Flowers, I like flowers, but there's so many of them everywhere. And even this little insignificant thing that he is so great and so good that he cares for those things. Here's how much he cares for them. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the, the American Basin. It's one of the most beautiful places in the U.S. It's, I have heard, the most photographed place in the United States. I'm not sure if that's true. Um, but it's up in Colorado, and it's in a very high place in the southwest corner of the state, a place that um, for, most of human for most of history since God created, human beings never went up there and saw this place. Because the native peoples didn't live in the mountains. They lived in the lowlands. They were a lot smarter than people who get up into the mountains. They had a life. They had things to do. And they're living down where it's low, where there's food and all of that stuff. Climbing mountains was something they never did. So this is a place that's full, if you go there in the summer, full of these beautiful wildflowers, but for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years sat up there with nobody ever seeing it, nobody ever noticing it, but God in his sovereign goodness and his love, he kept clothing this place year after year with this beauty because he cares about such small things. And then that's why um, Jesus says if he feeds them and he takes care of them, then he's like, you know, what about you? Is, is not, will he not, how much more valuable are you than that? That's what he says in um, verse 26. And he says the same thing. He, um, he talks about it again in, I think, verse 29. And not only does he talk about you're much more valuable than these things. If God cares for this, is he not going to care for you? But two times in the text, he calls the Father, he calls God your heavenly Father in verse 26. And then down again in verse 32, your heavenly father. And that's really intentional because he's trying to draw our attention to the fact that God is a father. And this summer we talked about this when I preached in Matthew 7 on prayer. How many fathers are here? How many of you here are a father? Raise your hand if you are a father. I know some, there's more fathers than are raising hands if you're a father. Okay. If you're a father, Tim, thank you for that hand. I see that hand. 
If you're a father, you understand a father's heart, right? And when, when Jesus is saying, he's your heavenly father, that resonates. None of us are perfect, but it resonates because a father, like a good mother, we long to give good gifts and to take care of our children to see them flourish. And so he's like, okay, if he's caring for all of this stuff and he's your heavenly father, is he, is he not going to care more about you? Um, I, as we read through this week, I think the next day in the reading, when you get to chapter 7... I want to read what Jesus says there about prayer. If your children ask for bread, which of you are going to give them a stone? I don't think any of the fathers here are going to do that. If, you, if your children ask for a fish, would you give them a snake? I know I wouldn't. Even though you are bad, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your heavenly father, what he says in chapter 6, how much more will he give good things to those who ask him? Because that's the heart of a father, is he wants to give good gifts. So Jesus is directing our heart towards his, his, not just his greatness, but towards his, his goodness towards us. So that's his corrective. And he says in verse 32 that he knows, your heavenly father, he knows what you need. He, has an, he sees, he has an intimate, intimate um, understanding of our lives. So it robs God of his glory. It also um, robs me of my perspective. And so Charles, I may need to have you do that for me. We were having computer issues last service. It robs me of my perspective. Um, and in a minute, I want to give you three specific ways that it robs me of perspective, but it really comes from verse 27, where Jesus says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And what he's saying is this worry is useless. It doesn't do anything, right? It doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't solve your problems. It doesn't add a single hour to your life. In fact, we know um, that worry is actually like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. That's what worry is like. It doesn't get you anywhere. The only thing actually that worry does for you, and if you're like me, you know this, is worry makes you miserable. It steals the joy and the peace out of your life. That's the only thing that it does. Um, there was a guy on his car had a bumper sticker that said this, anxiety is my daily cardio. Because anxiety not only makes you miserable, but it ruins your health, right? It gets your, your heart and your, your whole system to, to levels that it's not tended to operate, and it leads to a lot of health problems. And so that's what his daily cardio is, is his anxiety. And I think some of us know what it's like to, to live at that level. So, but it really robs me of perspective, and it does this in three ways. First, it robs me of my perspective by distorting my thinking, and that's important because that's my text. It distorts my thinking. Um, and it does this in two ways. Um, the number one... You know, you've heard of fear, that fear, irrational fear, you hear that phrase a lot, right? When fear and worry get ramped up to a degree that they're not supposed to, my thinking becomes unreasonable, and I start imagining things that aren't really true. The, the truth is, I know in my life is that many, most of the future things I worry about never happen. Michel de Montaigne, I guess a French dude, said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. And a study from Penn State University found that 91% of the things people worry about never happen. And of the 9% that does happen, most of that never happens to the degree that they imagine that it happens. Um, and I know that. I know that a lot of the things I worry about never come to fruition. But I keep doing it because it robs me of perspective. It also robs me of perspective because it, it blows things out of proportion in my mind. Um, I can create really amazing stories in my mind of the future, and if this thing doesn't get fixed, what's going to happen? I mean, you can make Hollywood movies 
from the stories that I tell myself. Um, anybody else know what that's like? I think I learned that well from my mother. I was talking to a guy recently um, about, I mean, his mother was really similar. She, she could create grand narratives of things to worry about. He was on his way home from Lawrence, and part of the way home, he hadn't gassed up, and he ran out of gas, had to wait for a patrolman to come and bring gas, and so was several hours getting home late. And when he finally walked in, she said, oh my gosh, I thought I would never see you again. And okay, this, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it was kind of this kind of thing. Like what she imagined in her mind was while he was driving on the turnpike, a UFO flew over, caught his attention, distracted him. And then when he looked back, a deer that was running across the highway, he crashed into it, um, went into a ravine where nobody could see him. And then a bear that had escaped the Topeka Zoo and happened to be there, pulled him out of the car, mauled him, left him laying there. The aliens just happened to see all of this, so they came back, beamed him up, decided to take him back to their planet to take care of him, and so she just knew she would never see him again. Okay, again, that's a little exaggerated, but I've known people who, um, I mean, I can create stories. You can just, go, you, your mind can go so many places, and so really, worry robs me of my perspective. It also robs me of my um, it robs me of my perspective by focus being, focusing my mind on temporal earthly things, and that's really what he's talking about in verse 25. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Um, he talked up in verse 19 about storing treasure in heaven, that when I start work, worrying, my focus quits being up here, and my focus gets down here. Is that right? It robs you of an eternal perspective, and you get stuck in life down here. And you get focused on the wrong things. And that's why Jesus, so in his corrective, he says, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Isn't there more that's going on than just these things you're worrying about? There's some eternal things that are happening. And that's why in verse 19, he tells us to, to store up treasure in heaven or in verse 20. Because he's saying, lift your eyes, get your eyes back where they belong. The third thing that worry robs me of in my perspective is it robs me of my perception of my value to God. That when I'm getting into a really worrying state, that what I start thinking not only is that God is not good enough, but I'm not good enough for him to want to take care of me. Like, he really doesn't, must not value me that much. Because if I were valuable, this wouldn't happen. And so I begin to, to question that. You know, am I really important to him? And again, that's why with the flowers and the birds, he says, are you not much more valuable than those things? Will he not clothe you more than them? He's trying to point us to the fact that you're more valuable. These things that he takes care of, the, uh, the American basin... Yesterday in Matthew 10, Jesus is going to come back to this topic of our value because I think he knows how important it is in chapter 10. In our reading, he says in Matthew 10, 20, uh, 29, I think this is, two sparrows cost only a penny, but not even one of them can die without your father's knowing it. Not a single sparrow can die without your father knowing it. God even knows how many hairs are on your head. It's an easy task for me, a lot harder for some of you. So don't be afraid, you are worth much more than many sparrows. So Jesus, again, is directing this fact that you are so valuable, but worry minimizes, in my mind, it robs me of the perspective that I'm valued to God. And then worry robs me of one more thing. It robs me of today, and that's verse 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble for its own. Charles Spurgeon said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it only empties today of its strength. What I do when I worry is I'm bringing tomorrow's problems into today. And what they cause me to do is to lose focus 
on eternal things, I lose focus on him. My focus gets really self-centered. It's about me. I, I start noticing those around me less. I, start, I don't notice the good, gracious gifts that God has for me today. Um, and it drains the day of enjoyment. That's why worry and anxiety to me are so incompatible with joy. So they rob God of his glory. They rob me of perspective. And they rob us of today. That's, what, that's the problem with worries. Speaking, by the way, about tomorrow, he does say in verse 34, tomorrow will worry about itself. There will be troubles there. Jesus doesn't promise a trouble-free life. But um, yeah, there'll be troubles tomorrow. But guess who else will be there tomorrow? Who do you think will be there tomorrow? Yeah, God will be there tomorrow. The same God who is present today and wants to meet me today will be present tomorrow. The God who wants to give me strength today will be there to give me strength tomorrow. That's why I love Lamentations 3, 22 to 23, where we are told because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Because of his love, I'm not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This was Tim Wright, one of his favorite scriptures. But his mercies are new every morning. Enough for me for that day. So he's enough today, and he'll be enough tomorrow. So that's, to me, the problem of worry for me is it robs God, it robs me, it robs today. Um, but to me, the big question became, what is the cause of worry? And you can find that at the end of verse 30. And this is really what I want to get to in verse 30. Where Jesus says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You of little faith. So worry is a trust problem. And I think we all know that, right? I don't, that is not profound. We all know that worry is a trust problem. Specifically, it's a lack of trust in God. But I want to take it one step deeper because I think Jesus is actually pointing out a deeper thing than that. Yeah, so it's a trust problem. And I think he's wanting to take us deeper than that, that there's actually something below the trust problem that, that creates worry in our lives. And to do that... We need to look really closely at the text, and there's a really important word in verse 25 that if you're not careful, you won't notice it. I was, I was just really curious and was looking online um, how many of sermons related to worry, what, what verses were they preaching? And they were preaching verses 25 to 34. I mean, in the Bible, it has a heading, um, if I go back to that, right above uh, verse Verse 25, so don't worry. There's a break there and there's a heading. But what's really interesting is verse 25 begins with the word therefore. And when I was learning in school how to study the Bible, we learned that therefore was a really important word. And the thing they taught us is, is anytime you see therefore, ask the question, what's it there for? Because it's pointing to something before, and the thing before is really important in laying the groundwork for what follows. So really, perhaps the most important thing Jesus is saying about worry isn't in 25 to 34. That's really important. But maybe the foundational most important thing is what he says in verses 19 to 24, where he talks about not storing up treasure on earth, where he talks about storing up treasure in heaven, because thieves break into stuff down here, where he says, you can't serve two masters because you're going to hate one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you're going to despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And so the whole topic of verses 19 to 24, interestingly, is idolatry. It's about the things that we treasure, the things we serve, the things we love, the things that we are devoted to more than God. 
if you look at verse 20, um, 32, talking about things on earth, he says, the pagans run after these things. They pursue these things. And so what I really want to challenge you and what I was challenged with is the cause of us not putting trust in God is that we're putting our trust in something else. Um, and I'm going to get to in a minute why I think that's really important. So idolatry, it really is about vision and it's about pursuit. It's about vision and pursuit. What are you looking at? What has your attention? And what are you pursuing in your life? Because what you look at and what you pursue will determine whether you have worry, struggles with worry in your life or not. Um, this idea, here's, here's something that recently I've learned that was pretty profound to me, this idea with trust, is I used to think either if I don't trust in God, it's like I have no trust, and actually that's really not even possible. We are created by God to believe, to belong, and to become. We need to believe as humans. We're created to believe. We are created to trust. And if I will not put my trust in Him, it isn't like trust goes away. I, put my, I have to put my trust in something else, Okay. I have to put my trust in something else. Let me give you an example. We go back to Genesis 3. Uh, Adam and Eve are created. They're in a re living relationship with God. He, they're trusting him as their father. Satan comes along, and Satan says to them, did God really say? And then he starts this conversation. And then by the end of it, he says, uh, no, you will not die. And so what he's doing is he's undermining their trust in him and where is their trust going? Their trust is going from God to who? Who are they trusting now? Well, they're trusting Satan because he's starting to say, did he really say? And no, you will not. And who do they believe? Do they believe God's words or do they believe Satan's words? They believe Satan's words because he has shifted their trust from them onto him. So you have to trust in something. And if it's not God, it will be in an idol. We trust in our idols. Do you remember when I talked about idolatry like a year and a half ago? There was one day we talked about this idea of like what really functions in your life is your security and your satisfaction. When things get tough, where do you run as your citadel? Where do you run to as your fortress when things are not going well? And where do you run for your comfort? When things aren't good, what do you go to for comfort? Because the things you run to to protect you and the things you go to for comfort, that's the thing that you truly worship because we trust we, those are the things we, we trust in and we worship. And so this whole idea of, of idolatry is, is that um, I place my trust in these idols rather than in God. And so it's not just an issue of trust, it's an issue of misplaced trust. That's what worry is. It's an issue of misplaced trust. And I'm trusting in something more than God. And here's the problem with trusting in anything more than God. And I think we know this deep down inside that anything other than God, it is fragile, it's flimsy, it is fleeting, it's fickle, it is finite, that it could leave you at any moment. And I think we know that. And I think that's the reason when my vision and my pursuit is focused on anything other than God, be it my children, my spouse, my work, my reputation, the bank account, any of that stuff, there's this deep sense in all of us that that stuff is not trustworthy and it can disappear at any moment. If money is the thing that I'm really living for, if that's where my vision and my pursuit is, I know that all it takes is for the stock market to go bad, and I've lost that, right? 
if it's a relationship that I've invested my whole, my whole meaning in, my satisfaction and my security, we all know you can lose relationships, right? People can walk out on you. People can betray you. People can leave. So if, if I, I think we have this deep sense that if I'm living my life with my vision focused on something other than God, and that's what I'm pursuing, that it creates a lot of insecurity, and that is what generates worry because my trust is misplaced in something that can never solve my problems. And so that's where the worry comes from. So most of our anxiety is the result of devotion to a false God rather than devotion to the true and living God. So yes, worry is a trust problem. It's a problem of mistrust, misplaced trust. It's an idolatry problem. Uh, Have you heard the saying, where there's smoke, there's fire? Um, that idea that if you see smoke somewhere, if you'll follow that trail, you'll get to, to fire. A few years ago, we were wanting to see some of the prairie burns. So we waited till the evening before the sun went down, and we, looked, we drove out of town, and we were looking for smoke. And once we found the smoke, we drove until we found the fire. You could always see the smoke first. I want, you, I want to tell you that worry is smoke in your life. And that it's more than that's just going on. And if you'll take that smoke, and if you'll follow that back, and if you'll do enough thinking and prayer and digging, that what you'll find under that is trust that's been misplaced from God onto something else. And if you'll look and pray, you'll find that there's something that you are worshiping and trusting in other than God to provide you with safety and security and satisfaction. And that thing is failing you. And that's where the worry has generated from. When I talked about the idols, I talked about the problem emotions we have, that when your anger becomes inordinate, when if depression hits, if shame hits at inordinate levels, fear and worry really rise up in you, that if you'll take that emotion and pull it up by the roots, you'll find dangling underneath idols that are being threatened, something that you're losing that's the most important thing to you, and that's what's creating those emotions. So then, if this is true, if Jesus talks about idolatry first, and then he says, therefore, let me talk about worry, because that really is the deep root issue, Um, if ultimately it's about idolatry, then what's the answer to worry? What's the answer to getting help with this? Um, Do you remember when we talked about idolatry, that was the last sermon we did, how do you get rid of an idol? And do you remember what we talked about is you don't get rid of an idol. It's not like having a cup of something and you throw it out because then you have an empty cup and something's going to rush in to fill that. That rather than, um, than displacing it that you have, or replacing it, you have to displace it. If you've got a cup full of oil, if you pour water into it, it will eventually push the oil out, right? So it's that idea that I have to fill myself with something bigger and greater than that idol to push that out. And what do you suppose that would be? It would be God. I could tell you, just with your willpower, stop worrying. Have you ever tried that, by the way, with the person that's worrying? Would you just stop worrying? It's very effective, isn't it? Um, I know Jesus says don't worry several times because he's wanting to free us from that. But to me, the key thing, the key command in this, verse, in this whole passage is verse 33, where he's pointing us towards the solution to worry. And it's a very, one of the most famous verses. If, I, if you grew up in the 70s or when I first came to Jesus in the 70s, we sang this song in youth. That was Matthew 6, 33. I'm not going to try to do it right now. But I have it memorized, but not in, the, not in the NIV. But here's what Jesus says. Here's the key to worry. Because worry, again, it's about vision and pursuit. And here's what he says. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all the things you need will be given to you as well. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's, a, it's vision and pursuit. The answer to my worry is to put him in his rightful place, to seek him, to pursue him, to, to make him the highest value in my life, to prioritize him, to desire him, to long him, to, to seek him out, to, to begin to refocus my eyes on him as the only all-satisfying one and the only all-sufficient one who can really give me the security and satisfaction I need to make him the greatest treasure of my life. That's the whole point of verses like 19 and 20 and 21 is, to, is where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And he's saying store it in heaven. And I don't think he's just meaning do good things that treasure for you is up there. I think ultimately what he's saying is your treasure ought to be God who is in heaven. Be seeking that treasure up there. He must become our greatest treasure. And when he becomes our greatest treasure, when he becomes our vision and our pursuit, only then will our trust be in him, and when our trust is in him, then the worry and stuff begins to dissipate. That's what, and then he promises us that if we devote ourselves to him, that he'll provide all we need. You know, in the NIV, he says, I will, um, all the things will be given to you as well. That's his promise. Interestingly, I'm not sure... Um, if the King James has this, but I think some old English translation says they will be added to you because I remember when I first heard that, I thought that sounded strange, but it really is the same Greek word as the Greek word up in verse 27 where he says, can you by worrying add a day to your life? Can you add a day by worrying? The answer is no, but if you will seek him first, then he will add to you the things that you need. I, I love that, that he'll give you the things that you need. That's the key is the things that we need. So C.S. Lewis, he said this. He said, if you aim for heaven, you're going to get earth thrown in. But if you aim for earth, you get neither. So worry is all about vision and pursuit. What am I looking at? What has my attention? Who has my attention? What am I pursuing? So what we need to do is we intentionally turn our eyes to Jesus. Charles, I think you've been doing an awesome job. We turn our eyes to Jesus. Paul talks about it in Colossians where he says this. Um, Set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. In 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. In Hebrews 12.1 and 2, we run the race. Let us run it with perseverance, that race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's how I, I learned it the author and perfecter of our faith. It's all about vision and pursuit. Who or what am I looking at? Who or what am I pursuing? So we fix our attention on him, and then we pursue him as our one thing. Mary, Martha's sister, understood this idea of the pursuit of the one thing, but Mary didn't. And so Jesus had to say to Mary, to Martha, in Luke 10, 41 and 42, he said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one thing. And he said of Mary, she has found the one thing, and she's pursuing the one thing. It's that pursuit of the one thing. David knew that it's really all about vision and pursuit when it comes to fear. So in Psalm 27, he wrote, I think this is so profound, I love this. Psalm 27, 3 to 5, this is what he said, though an army besiege me, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. It will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. David, where does that come from? I'd love to live like that. And he says this, one thing I ask, 
one thing. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek Him in His temple, to seek Him in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will keep me safe in His dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of His sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. David understood that worry, it's all about vision and it's all about pursuit. So if we'll turn our attention to Him, if we will intentionally pursue God, if we will seek Him and His kingdom and His righteousness first, then trust will grow. And as trust grows, worry dissipates. And I really believe that an ongoing steady pursuit of God is the way toward a growing freedom from worry. An ongoing steady pursuit of God is the way, is the way toward growing freedom from worry. Because worry is all about vision and it's all about pursuit. Just a couple of final thoughts about that. Number one, this is a process. We all know that. You're not going to leave here today and have no more worries, right? Because it's something we're all going to struggle with, but the thing we can work on is continuing to seek Him, to keep Him in front of our eyes and to pursue Him. The other thing I want to say is I am convinced from His teaching, I think a great deal of our worry has a spiritual root to it. It really is that we're pursuing other things other than Him. That, are, that can never meet our needs, and so that's the result. I think a lot of our worry has these spiritual roots to it, um, but I also know there are going to be other things at work. You can come from a family of origin where worry was rampant in the family, and you kind of catch that cold, and so please, if you feel like worry is a huge issue, do not be afraid to, to seek to to, to long to seek God and put Him in the center of your vision, and there's nothing wrong with going to a trained professional to have them help you work through other things related to that. So there's no shame in that, okay? But I really do believe that this, this is at the root of a lot of it. So what about application? I just want to make um, one application to help us keep our vision and our pursuit on Him. And it may sound really self-serving, but here it is. Get in the Word of God. Get in the Word of God daily. Meet Him, pray, and get in the Word of God. This year we're going through the New Testament, 2021. Um, if you're just back, you're like, I didn't know they were doing that, and we've got some more New Testaments coming in hopefully this week. We're almost caught up. But get in the Word of God daily. Get your vision on Him. Get your heart and your pursuit on Him. Every day say, Lord, I don't just want to know your Word. I want to know the Word behind the Word. I want to know you. I want to meet you. I want my vision on you. I want my heart on you. I want to seek you. And this is one of the main ways I can do that. So that's my challenge is get in the Word of God daily. Seek and pursue Him. So let's do that, family. Let's do that as a, together. Let's, let's get focused on the Word. I mean, I know every, every one of us today, every one of us struggles with worry and anxiety at some point. Some of us today, maybe more than, than others. Um, so I, wanna, I want us to do a little exercise today. In a minute, we're going to play a song that somebody in my triad referenced this week. We actually discussed this passage, and I guess there's a new song out called Sparrow um, that's off this passage that we're going to play. And what I'd like to do is, in each row, there are some postcards. And I'd like to ask you or challenge you or if you feel happy to do it, to grab a postcard. There's hopefully enough on the row. There are, if you don't have a pen or pencil, we've got pencils like every other row and some baskets. If you just would poke somebody up in front of you and say, can you get me one of those pencils or something? But here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like to, uh, to challenge you to take a minute and to write on this card the one or two things that are most worrying to you right now. 
Maybe they're low level, I don't know. But whatever it is that has your worry right now, to write down the one or two things you're most worried about. As a way of just saying, Lord, you know, if I were to be honest, these are the things on my heart right now. These are the things weighing me down. The other thing I'd like you to do, because worry is caused by misplaced trust, that I'm, I'm loving and pursuing something more than him. I'd really like you to take that smoke of that worry and to dig down and ask the question, what is the idol that's underneath that? What this worry is coming from what? Is it that I put too much weight, my love and worship on my children? Is it my spouse? Is that boyfriend or girlfriend? Is it my work? Is it my reputation? Is it approval? Um, there's so many things. Is it my bank account? What's the thing? Where have I put the weight of my, vo- my focus and my vision on that's causing this worry to rise up inside of me? And so to write those things down. Because in a minute, we're going to give you a chance to... to uh, to kind of offer those to God, to pray for him, to lay these things before him. So I want to give you a minute for you to to write some stuff down. All right, would you stand? Because what we're going to do is we're just going to end with a song. Um, We'll come to the altar. And really want to give you a chance to to kind of physically, if you desire, to have a chance to like say, Lord, these are the things that that I'm worried about. For some of us, maybe they're consuming us. I don't know. But these are the things I'm worried about. These are the things that I actually love and pursue more than you that's at the root of it. And I want to lay all this before you and I want to seek you because I want pure vision. I want pure pursuit. I want to know you. So if you have a desire, if that coming forward would help you, we've got a couple of places up here with the flowers to remind us of the lilies of the field um, with First Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. We've also got three tables in the back. And so while we sing the song, if, if that would be helpful, invite you to go up to lay one of those down, to, to lay that down, say a prayer. Um, if you'd rather wait till on your way out, that's fine. Um, but if it's something that would be helpful for you, please do that while we sing. I am hurting and broken within Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave me regrets and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait Jesus is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the altar 
The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood. Oh, what a Savior! Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah! Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord. you know that we all struggle with worry with misplaced trust trust that's not in you but we put in other things that we are looking to and things that we are pursuing with our time our our money our energy our thoughts we just want to be a people that are wholly passionate for you for your glory for knowing you seeing you as the great treasure the all you and your all surpassing glory so help us to as a body to turn our vision our eyes to you for you to become the thing that we pursue above all else so that we would be a people who are known over time less for having lower and lower degrees of worry and more and more degrees of trust and of joy and peace. So make us that kind of people. We're so dependent on you for that. We are utterly desperate for your spirit to give us that vision and that pursuit. So we ask this in the name of Jesus, our King, the one that we love. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, 12th, as always, you are sent to a needy world. 